Well, this is the time of year that loyalty is on display. Um, Those of you who have certain clothing you wear on Fridays, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Uh, My daughter and son-in-law and the world's greatest grandbaby every Friday wear Gamecock clothes. And all God's people said, Now, my little granddaughter, Lily, she's only 18 months old, though she looks like she's two or three, Uh, but she's only 18 months old. She's got no clue what a football is, much less a Gamecock, but she is going to grow up showing her loyalty to the University of South Carolina. I mean, she's got no choice in the matter with her mom and dad. So every Friday, they put these cute little outfits on her, and every Friday, they put these cute little... Gamecock bows in her hair, and she shows her loyalty every Friday during football season. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you do that on Fridays, either for South Carolina or for Clemson or maybe for some other team? How many kind of wear your colors on Fridays? Raise your hand. I don't know. It, it, am I right in it on Friday that... What, why is it called, what, what is there a name for it? What? <laughs> so. <laughs> that is noted. Um. And I was getting ready to say something. You interrupted it. That's okay. <laughs> now, here, here's, a, here's a serious Was that Chris back there that said that? I, don't, I have my glasses on. Is that, is that you? Yeah. All right. So here's a serious question for Chris and then for anybody else. Serious question. Chris, serious question. How much money would it take for you to start wearing the colors of South Carolina? what's the dollar figure there Pam (laughs) so he can't be sold out is what you're saying yeah I mean Chris you need to understand you don't have to be a fan to wear their colors we just ask you would you be willing to look like a fan right so, again, I, Pam, I think Pam said $100. If somebody, who's a big South Carolina fan here? All right. If Dave Storey, if Dave Storey pulled a $100 bill out of his pants pocket and said, if you'll wear this next Friday, this South Carolina Gamecock jersey, would you do it? And that's got to have big old, it's got to have the chicken on it. You, you, you're not going to wear it for $100? I, I'd wear it. Yeah. <laughs> Some people are volunteering. Okay, I let, put me on that list. <laughs> now, who, who's, a big Clemson, who's a big Clemson fan? Steve Robbins. Is Steve Robbins up in the booth? Where's he at? 
There he is. I see him. Thank you. I thought you were pointing in the back, and he's in the back of the balcony. Steve Robbins, this would be a perfect example. Steve, in your life, have you ever worn anything South Carolina? How much money would it take to get you to wear a South Carolina Gamecock jersey? <laughs> Dave said, we just might. <laughs> All right. One other serious question, then we're going to move on. Which is easier? This, this is for anybody. Which is easier? To be a fan of a team that's winning the ACC or the SEC or to be a fan of a team that's only winning three games this year? Which is easier? What did what, you say? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. To do either. Okay, perfectly easy to do either. Maybe, maybe I need to ask the question another way. If your team is winning the ACC or the SEC, it's been so long since Tennessee's done that, I don't remember what that felt like. But, but if your team is winning the ACC or the SEC, your loyalty to that team is usually pretty high. If your team is a bottom dweller, if your team is winning one or two or three games a season, is your loyalty still as high? You said yes, why? And because you're used to it. <laughs> Spoken like a true South Carolina fan. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's think in these terms. What, what does the word loyalty mean? How would you describe loyalty? For better or for worse. Loyalty in its truest, truest sense is not based on the performance of your team. I'm speaking just strictly in football, not spiritual terms, strictly football. It's easier, or it may be, this is not good English, it may be funner, more fun, to pull for your team if they're winning the ACC or the SEC. Definitely it's a lot more fun. Definitely you're motivated to wear your jersey. Definitely it's just something you can get excited about. But if you're truly loyal, aren't you going to be a fan if they're only winning one or two games? Yeah. Aren't you, aren't you going to wear your jersey even if they're not winning any games? If you're really loyal, devoted. Now, here's the question that we're going to be looking at tonight. Am I devoted to God? Or another way to ask the question is, how devoted am I? To God, And I'm not going to compare it to football and say, well, yeah, you ought to be as devoted to God as you are to football. I mean, that's an obvious thing, obvious statement. That's not what I'm talking about. My question is for you and I tonight as we look at the text <clears throat> to think about our loyalty to the Lord. You know, the way that you answer that question of how devoted am I to God 
the way that you answer that question is probably directly related to what's going on in your life right now. Uh, if I'm healthy, and my family's healthy, if my bills are paid and my job is secure, if my bank account is comfortable, then my loyalty to God probably is pretty high on a scale of 1 to 10. Pretty easy to be loyal to God when you're winning everything. The question is, how high is my loyalty if I have cancer? How high is my loyalty if my child is in a serious car accident? How high is my loyalty if my mother is murdered by a drunk driver? How high is my loyalty if my wife and I can't have kids? Or if my marriage ends in divorce? Or if I'm fired unjustly? Or if I lose my home because I can't pay my bills? How loyal, watch, watch this, how loyal will I be to God then? There's one thing that I've learned in 32 years of pastoring. It's that sometimes we face circumstances where our loyalty to God is severely tested. Severely tested. And nothing shows the depth of our loyalty to God more than the way we meet trials way we go through difficulties. The best story that I know of about loyalty to God is found in the story in Daniel chapter 3. Would you open God's word? We are returning to the book of Daniel tonight and probably quite honestly for a little while we're going to be in Daniel. I, <clears throat> when I started this I really didn't intend to do a series in Daniel but after we got in chapter 1 I, I'll I looked at chapter 2 and said, well, I like what's in chapter 2. And we did chapter 2 and it's said, well, I like what's in chapter 3. So at least for a couple of two or three more weeks, we'll probably be in Daniel. <clears throat> Let me give you the background again. King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden image or a statue of himself that was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he set it up in the plain of Dura. He set it up for people to worship and it was on that flat plains of Dura, this 90-foot image could be seen for miles. Do you, do you know how high 90 feet is? Imagine a, a nine-story building. That, that's essentially 90 feet. And so, when you're looking at the plains of Dura, if there were a nine-story building, you would see it for miles. And if there's a, a nine-story golden statue glistening and shining in the sun... You're going to see that for miles. Now, I asked you this last week, and you gave a very good answer, but I'm going to ask it again. Where did Daniel, or not Daniel, where did King Nebuchadnezzar get the idea to make this statue, this golden statue? Well, if you go back to chapter 2 of Daniel, you'll get the idea. In chapter 2 of Daniel, remember what we talked about last week, that Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. Daniel interprets the dream. And in chapter 2, verse 31, here's what he says. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold. Then he describes the rest of it. Now, for time's sake, skip down to verse 36. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. 
You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. And in your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. In other words, watch this. He's saying, listen, king, there's nobody like you. There is no, there's nobody in the world like you. There's no ruler in the world like you. You're like this huge statue. And then he says, you are that head of gold. So, King Nebuchadnezzar gets this idea. You know, that's not just a dream. Maybe that's something I need to make. And so he, he, his craftsman forms this 90-foot statue of the king made of gold. Now let's read in chapter 3, verse 1, and, and we'll see what happens. Chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King... King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial uh, officers to come in the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of the gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown in a blazing furnace. Now, they're on the plains of Dura. Question, where do you think this blazing furnace came from? Why, why are they referring to a blazing furnace? More than likely, the blazing furnace he's referring to here was the furnace used to form the statue. Now, there's a reason I'm, I'm calling that to your attention. Uh, you'll see it in just a moment. But just keep in mind that you've got this 90-foot statue made of gold. They're, they had to use a, a blazing furnace to form and fashion it, and the furnace probably is still there. Get that in your mind. Just file that away for just a moment. Now... <clears throat> The people were pretty motivated to bow down and worship this because it says, verse 7, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the people and nations and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Question. Why Why were the people motivated to bow down and worship this image? Yeah, they're going to be killed by the... By the furnace and be thrown into the furnace. Do you think they all wanted to bow down to it? Probably not. Let's see what happens in verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, Pipes and all kinds of music must fall down to worship the image of gold. Yeah, that's right. Okay? And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Yes, that's right. 
But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. And here's their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown, what's that word, that next word? You'll be thrown what? Immediately. Immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what little g God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Nebuchadnezzar gives them a second chance. He says, listen, all right, guys, here's the deal. You haven't bowed down yet, but I've, and I've heard about this, but here's the deal. I'm going to give you a second chance. Next time you hear the band playing, if you don't bow down, you'll be thrown immediately into the fiery furnace. Apparently, the furnace was on site and in sight. Probably the smelting furnace used to construct that statue. That's what I was talking about a moment ago. So more than likely, not, they're not just threatened with, we're going to throw you in the furnace. The furnace was on site and was in sight. And I want you to notice the arrogance of King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 15. He says, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Then the key verses of the chapter, verse 16 and 18. Now, I'm just going through the verses, then we're going to go back and make some applications here. <clears throat> the key verses of the chapters, verse 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, this is amazing. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to save us from it. And He will rescue us from your hand, O King. Verse 18. But even if He does not, you ought to underline that in your Bible. Even if He does not, we want you to know, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You know what He's saying? Even if our team is 0-12, we're still going to be loyal to it. Even, O oh King, if we lose our life, we're still going to be loyal to God. We're, our loyalty to God is not based on which way the wind's blowing today. Our loyalty to God is not based on whether He saves us or He doesn't save us. If He saves us, great, we'll praise His name. But King, we want you to know that we believe our God is able to save us, but even if He for some reason chooses not to, we just want you to know we're not bowing down. We're not bowing down today. We're not bowing down tonight. We're not bowing down tomorrow. We're not bowing down ever. Because we're going to be loyal to our God. Now, <clears throat> that's what I want to talk about tonight. In the time that we have left, let me talk to you Three things about loyalty from this story. First of all, 
your loyalty to God is noticeable to others. Oh, it sure is. In in verse 7 and in verse 12, go back in the text again. Verse 7, therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of of the band, I'm just reading all that. When, When they heard the sound of the band, all the peoples and nations and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Except, verse 12, he says, But there are some Jews who you set over the affairs of the province, Babylon, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you set up. In other words, watch this, someone was watching. Someone noticed that when everybody bowed down, there were three who didn't. Now, catch this. Someone has estimated, and I don't know how people do this, but somebody's estimated that there were as many as 300,000 people at this event. Again, I I can't tell you how they come up with that figure, but let's just say that they're right. 300,000 people were at this event from all over the vast empire, and when the band starts playing, 300,000 people hit the dust, all except three. Can you imagine how they must have stuck out when everybody, hundreds of thousands of people have hit the dust and they look around and there's three guys still standing? Here's what a simple, simple, simple lesson is that when you are loyal to the Lord, it will be noticed. And it ought to be. Let me ask you, have have you ever had an experience where where you stood out for your faith I mean, you, you weren't trying to stand out. You weren't trying to make a scene. You, you just kind of took a little stand for your faith, and, and you kind of stood out. Has anybody ever had those kind of experiences? <clears throat> well, I can give you one, and it's very, it's very small. Some of you have heard me tell this story, but, but it illustrates, I think, what we're talking about here. I used to play baseball. You all didn't know that about, about your pastor, but I did. I used to play baseball. Uh, Johnson City JCs. We were city champions, by the way. Just in case, I still have the trophy to prove it. It's about that big. <laughs> Johnson City JCs, I played left field and I played uh, catcher. And, and I loved it. And uh, we had a big game coming up. It was, it was like we were getting close to to the end and the city championship and all that. I had this big game and, and it was a Saturday. We, we had played a game. We got another big game coming up shortly after. And the coach, I mean, it's like yesterday. I could, I could tell you, I could almost take you to the spot where this happened. It's so vivid in my mind. Uh, so the coach was telling us that we got this big upcoming game and, and uh, we need to have an extra practice. He said, how many of you boys go to church on Sunday? I quickly raised my hand and then I looked around and I was the only one with my hand up. And it felt uncomfortable, to be honest with you. I was probably 10 years old. And I was the only one with my hand up, said, yeah, I go to church. The point is simply this. The heart of loyalty is that I'm going to be faithful whether others are or not. I'm going to be devoted whether others are or not. I'm going to go to church whether others do or not. My loyalty to God is not based on what the rest of the team is going to do 
or what the rest of the team is not going to do. My loyalty to God is based on my devotion, my personal devotion to Him. Does that make sense to anybody? So you've got hundreds of thousands of people gathered around this 90-foot statue. The band starts playing. Boom! Everybody hits the dust except for three people standing. I want you to think for a moment how that must have felt. I want you to think for a moment how conspicuous that was. And maybe how uncomfortable that was. I want you to think for a moment maybe how scary that was. Still, they stood. sake of time, let me go into the second one. Here's, here's the second lesson I want you to get. Your loyalty to God has to be predetermined. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I want you to try to imagine for a moment, if indeed they're right, that the furnace was nearby. That this was not Nebuchadnezzar saying, now guys, if you don't go bow down, we're going to go get some wood. No, that wasn't the case. It's guys, if you don't bow down, you see that furnace right there? You smell that furnace right there? You feel the heat coming off that furnace? If you don't bow down, you're going in it. And I love... (laughs) Well, they could have said, if they saw this raging furnace, they could have looked at one another and said, well, you know, everybody else is doing it. We could bow down too. Or they could have said, you know, my position requires that I do this. Or they could have said, we'll bow our knees, but we won't bow our hearts. How about that one? Let's bow our knees. Let's just not bow our hearts. Or they could have said, you know, we can... I wrote this, I'm going to make sure I say it right. We can serve God better by being officers in the king's service than being ashes in the king's furnace. The only thing that they needed to do was bow a knee. The only thing they needed to do. But those three men knew that what God wanted them to do was to stand. And that's what they did without hesitation. And when they said, King, we don't need to defend ourselves in this matter, what they were really saying is, we don't even need to think about this one. There's some things you don't even need to think about. Let me give you a principle that will help you. Watch, write this down if you're taking notes. Let me give you a principle that will help you when you uh, live in victory like these men did. Here's the principle. Don't pause in the face of temptation. Don't pause in the face of temptation. When you're faced with an opportunity or faced with the temptation, when when you're wrestling with this should I or should I not, when you know the right thing, don't pause, do the right thing. Loyalty has to be predetermined. The important thing is that you decide that you're going to obey God no matter what the circumstances. And once you've decided that, then the consequences really are kind of irrelevant. If you decide you're going to obey God, then the consequences really aren't that important anymore. Loyalty means obeying God regardless of the feelings within us, regardless of the circumstances around us, regardless of the consequences before us. 
You see, I, I'm really convinced if you agree with this, being loyal is not something you suddenly decide to do. Being loyal is something that's part of who you are. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. I don't have to wonder. Listen, listen, listen. I don't have to wonder what I would do if I were given the choice of of doing something to protect the life of my wife or my children. I'm going to do anything to try to protect the life of my wife or my children. I, I don't even have to wonder if somebody said, okay, we can kill you or we can kill Lisa. We can kill you or we can kill Kelly or Lauren or Jonathan. I, I don't even have to wonder about that. I would gladly, without hesitation... And I know, I'm not the only one, but I would gladly, without hesitation, give my life to spare the life of Lisa or any of my kids. You see, loyalty, real loyalty is predetermined. Not something you have to sit there and say, you know what, let me pray about that and get back to you. Have you already answered the question in your heart and your mind about whether... Anything can turn you away from the Lord. Loyalty is not based on on your feelings. It's not based on your circumstances. It's based on your commitment. That's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, You know, King, we really don't have to think about this one. And I know the furnace is right there. And I know it's hot. And I know it could be very painful. But we don't have to think about this. Because we're going to serve God. And only God. Could I, could I give you that word before we go into the final one? Could I give you that word to hang on? We're going to serve God and only God? Does that make sense? We're, we're, listen, we're, we're living in a time in America where people want us to serve God and something else or someone else. Where they want us to compromise our beliefs, our convictions, and, and, and we're living in a time where we're being pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed to serve God and something else. Ladies and gentlemen, true loyalty is we're serving God and God alone. Not God and something else. Which brings me to the third one. And this is one where I want to camp out for just a second. Your loyalty to God is marked by abandonment to His will. Your loyalty to God is marked by abandonment to His will. Verse 17 and 18. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And He will rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if He does not... We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I'm not sure anything quite compares to, I'm going to believe God to my very last breath. I love that. I'm going to follow God to my very last breath. I'm going to be loyal to God to my very last breath. That's what they were saying. An absolute surrender to the will of God. These men of faith, 
they didn't presume to know God's will. They didn't presume to say, oh, we know God's going to, we've named it and claimed it. We know God's going to deliver us. That's not what they said. They said, we know God's able to deliver us. Deep down, we hope He does. But even if He doesn't, we're still going to trust Him. We're still going to believe Him. We're still going to follow Him. You know, there's times when God delivers us from the fire. There's times when God delivers us through the fire. And then there's times He delivers us by the fire. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, sometimes God delivers us from the fire. Let's, let's take the example of cancer. The doctor tells you you have cancer and you would do what I would do and what we would all do. We would rally our friends and say, I've got cancer, pray for me that God would, would heal me. And so you, you pray, your friends pray, and sometimes God delivers you in that way. He heals you and he answers your prayer and, and all of a sudden uh, you see a miracle. You go back to the doctor and the doctor says, I don't understand it, but the tests come back and there's no cancer there anymore. And sometimes God delivers us from the fire that way. Then at other times he delivers us through the fire. That is, you do have cancer, we need to fight it. We need to fight it hard. It's a long road. You take the chemotherapy, you take uh, all the, the problems, the tests and the treatments and all of that. And, and through this fiery trial, your faith grows stronger. Through this fiery trial, your, your relationship with God goes deeper. And God, amazingly, after weeks or months or maybe years, the outcome is that, yes, you're healed. You're cancer-free. He delivers you through the fire. You've got to go through the fire, but He delivers you. And then sometimes he delivers you by the fire. That is, he doesn't heal you physically. He takes you to heaven and heals you there. Now, we all know which one we want, right? We all know which one we want. But sometimes the real question is, how loyal am I going to be to him? Do my circumstances have to be good? in order for my loyalty to be strong. I want to close by asking you to go to Hebrews. Hebrews 12. Hebrews, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is that great faith chapter. And it, of course, lists the names and the deeds of men and women who had tremendous faith. Let me give you an example, beginning in verse 32. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? I, I did not have the time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson, and Jeph, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies women received back their dead and raised to life again now stop right there for a moment notice he talks about those who were delivered from the flames more than likely a reference to those heroes of the faith, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. 
verse 34, quench the fury of the flames, talking about those men. And, and all of these people, they had this tremendous faith, and, and, and tremendous things happened. Then, look at verse 35, the second half of the verse. There's a word there. Uh, after It says, women receive back their dead, raised to life again, period. Then what's the next word? Others. Others. The Greek word here means others of a different kind. Others who also had faith. But they did not see God do the miracles that He did for the ones listed in the first 35 verses. Others who had faith as strong as the people listed previously. Others who were devoted to God. Others who had a loyalty to God. Others who prayed to God. Others who trusted God. And yet the outcome was quite different for them. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute and persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These, these people, these were all commanded or commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Listen, God always rewards faith, but He doesn't always step in and perform miracles. It's a wonderful story when you can say, listen, King, we're not bowing down and we're not going to do what you want. And it's a wonderful story when God delivers you from the fire. It's not as wonderful when you say, we're not going to bow down. And it costs you your job. We're not going to bow down. And it seems like God doesn't come through. That's the others. They didn't get what the other people did. Here's the question. We go back to what we talked about at the beginning. Here's the question. Are you going to be loyal to your team when they're winning the national championship? Or are you going to be loyal to your team when they're 0 and 12. Well, if you're truly devoted, you're going to be loyal regardless, aren't you? And if you're truly devoted to God, you want a good outcome. You want a good experience. You want an answer to prayer. You want things to turn out the way that you hope that they will. And we all are like that, myself included. But if you're truly devoted to God, you're going to say like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But even if He doesn't, still going to believe I'm still going to trust I'm still going to follow I'm still going to be devoted I'm still going to be loyal watch this I'm still going to be his now what we're going to see next week which is my favorite part of the story next week we're going to look at if we're loyal to God is God loyal to us We'll look at that next week.
and it's going to be a wonderful thing as we, uh, we're going to get happy next week. All right? Let me pray with you. Father, Lord, we want to trust you. We want to be loyal. We want to be devoted. We know it's something that really comes from our heart, not from our head. God, would you do a work in us as, as we open the Word, as we look at your, your Word each day, would you do a, a work in us that we would see that you are trustworthy, you deserve our best, you are someone we can be devoted to. Because ultimately, you have our best interest always in mind. Ultimately, you do what is best for us. And so may we follow you, completely devoted, absolutely surrendered, even when the circumstances are hard. I pray that in Jesus' name.